Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Also, a weekly professor on TPC <laughs> teaching me about everything, nothing related, and it's all brilliant and wonderful. And I realized that last week we talked about the Buran and the Energia and... I forgot to ask if we could do that episode specifically. So you you told me yesterday, like, let's do it. And I was like, oh, fuck. So <laughs> I apologize for putting that on your plate. But if we want to no, get into it, right. yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm less of a space nerd than I am uh, expert in some other things. But yeah. uh, I think I can hold my own talking. I mean, I did live through some of this stuff with yeah. the uh, the – N1 and the Energia and the Buran being discovered behind the Iron Curtain when yeah. the Soviet Union fell and everyone going, what the hell? Yeah. So uh, it's actually a whole related things. The, the Buran was like the tail end of uh, a whole thing that started with the moon race on the Soviet side. And of course, all, all most people in the West know about that is that they lost rather badly. Um, and um, when they did lose, they ordered all of the remnant uh, bits of the project to be destroyed. The Kremlin was, Kremlin was embarrassed by the, the outcome. And one of the things that was left over was a warehouse full of rocket engines that had been built for the N1. And uh, like everything else, I mean, a lot of their technology wasn't known. We, we, we knew what they could launch and what they could blow up on the pad and all because you can't hide that. But we didn't know a lot of details about their technology. Yeah. So uh, it was after the Soviet Union fell and Western investors were nosing around the, uh, the old Soviet Union looking for stuff to invest in. And a guy literally found an engineer and said, I got something to show you. And so he shows this guy a warehouse full of rocket engines that the Kremlin had ordered destroyed, but instead they had just hid them. And the thing about these, these are the NK-33 engines that had been built for the N-1. And, of course, a lot of people blamed them for the fact that all of the N-1s they tried to fly blew up. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't the real problem. The real problem was that the N-1 wasn't a very big engine, and so it needed 30 of them. And... That meant that the plumbing was fragile and complicated. And so at least two of the four that blew up, they know blew up because the plumbing failed. Okay. Uh, they didn't have barge access to their launch site like NASA does uh, in Florida. So they had to assemble the rocket on site. Uh, they never were able to fire the entire assembly of 30 engines in the test stand. And so they were finding out about all these weird vibration modes and fragile plumbing and uh, occasionally exploding turbo pumps in flight. Now, we, now we, we, we melted a whole shitload of F1s figuring out how to make them stable, but we did that in test stands. Mm-hmm. We didn't do it uh, 100,000 feet up with a stack on top of it. Yeah. So it turns out that those engines 
were the most efficient rocket engines ever built. The Soviets had solved a problem that Western rocket scientists had decided was unsolvable. What's that? Okay, well, a, a certain amount of the energy that comes from the fuel uh, has to be used to pump the rest of the fuel into the combustion chamber. And the higher the pressure in the combustion chamber, the more efficient the rocket is. Yeah. Uh, the F1 engine had a chamber pressure of 80 atmospheres. Uh, in the modern RD-180, which is descended from the NK-33, uh, it's like 270. And it takes a lot of energy to do that. So what they do is they siphon off some of the fuel and use it to run a turbo pump, which pumps the rest of the fuel into the combustion chamber. So, yeah, th- see, conceptually, a rocket engine is a real simple thing. It's a chamber with a hole in one side and a nozzle on the other, and you spray fuel in this end, and fire comes out the other. Yes. But God is in the details, and once you start figuring out how to do that with blowing, without blowing up the neighborhood, things get interesting. Yeah. So tyranny, in the right? in all of the I said tyranny, right? The tyranny of the rocket isn't that one of them? <laughs> I'm the, not familiar. With the that. tyranny of the rocket equation. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. You have the, the specific impulse and all that. Yeah, you have to use fuel to lift fuel. But now I'm also thinking you got to use fuel to lift fuel, but also use fuel to pump fuel. And it's like, yeah. yeah. Well, and that's it. You use about 10% of your fuel to pump fuel. And another thing that you have to do is in order to not melt the turbine, they run, uh, American rocket engines run a very lean mix. They run a lot less oxygen than the fuel needs so the unburned fuel keeps things from getting too hot okay. uh, so because otherwise the bearings would fail the pumps would explode so you have this uh very unbalanced mixture and what they do with it in the f1 and the space shuttle engine and all the rest of america the american-made engines ever made is they toss it overboard they just pump it into the bell and it goes out the bottom it doesn't contribute to the thrust what the Russians figured out was how to take that uh, wasted fuel and put it back into the combustion chamber and burn it. And the neatness about that trick is it's very hard to do without blowing the engine up because it's hard enough to make the engine stable when you're not pulling this trick. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also a problem. The other thing that the Russians did is instead of running a lean mix like the Americans did, they figured out how to run uh, – a, uh, a instead of running a rich mix, rather we we run too much fuel. Mm-hmm. They just they figured out how to run a lean mix with too much oxygen, and that actually makes for better hydro better thermodynamics and for more efficiency. But it also results in all this very hot oxygen coming out of the the turbo cha- uh, pump uh, chamber and having to be piped. And of course, hot oxygen doesn't agree well with metal. So figuring out how to keep it from corroding the engine to nothing in a few minutes was a major obstacle. What the, the Russians solved that. They got the metallurgy in place. Uh, they figured out the, how, to, how to design the combustion chamber so that it was stable. And they did all of this uh, without you know, really by doing it theoretically. They had a guy who apparently just had a rocket chamber in his head and just could, could visualize all of these dynamical flows. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been said often that's one of the differences between american designers and uh, russian designers is the russians will figure out all of the mathematical theory behind a thing the americans will just build a computer and use numerical methods and i had i've had on several times garrett bruhaug who's i think a little older than me but uh 
is getting a degree in nuclear fusion and works at the uh, the laser uh, the lab laboratory of laser energetics at uh, University of Rochester. He's brilliant. He comes on here all the time. Um, but the last episode we did, we were talking about like asteroid deflection and KGB versus CIA, Soviets versus America. <laughs> but that's what he said. He goes, the Russians, because like the Soviets never were just flush with cash like we were, we, we were just like, fuck it, just space agent, right? Just give it a hard drive. He was like, they always figured out these beautiful, eloquent mathematical solutions to things. So it's interesting to hear him say that and hear you say that. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a trope. Um, so anyway, uh, most people don't realize that the United States has been buying rocket engines from Russia since two th- since 2000. What? Because, oh yeah, uh, uh, most of our larger loads have been lifted on uh, Soviet-made RD-180 rocket engines for most of the last two, 20 years. Yeah, uh, I learned because because they're more efficient. If you can get an engine that's five or ten more efficient, more percent efficient, yeah. then you know that uh, 14 pounds of fuel to put one pound in orbit that that's a huge win. Yeah. And uh, so now, in as part of that deal that uh, they inked when. Uh, we started buying engines from them. We, they, that first contract, they insisted, the Americans insisted that we get their technology. There was like 10 critical technologies that we didn't have that were uh, without which you couldn't build the engines. And they insisted that they turn over all the documentation to us so that if, so that if, if we needed to, we could build our own engines. And they didn't want to do that. That, that was like a hard, you know, that was a big ask. But they were also broke. They were completely out of money, and so they swallowed hard and gave it to us. What? But so I was going to say, what a sorry to interrupt again. But what a what a what a funny American trope. Now it's whenever a country falls, we go in and we get shit related to rockets. Right? <laughs> Two times now. What's the third going to be? China? Are I, we going to do it with them? It's God willing, but. <laughs> Yeah, I, or vice well, versa. The thing, the thing is, the, Rus- the Russians have always been uh, a lot better at things than people realize because they don't have our natural resources. The fact that they've done as much as they have is just mind blowing. The fact that when they got re- Sputnik up before is, Sputnik, yeah, and the atomic bomb, yeah, in forty nine, yeah. You got to figure by the by the time uh, we detonated Mike. They had pretty much plugged all of the the leaks as far as spies and shit. So all the Soviets knew was that we got ten megatons. They didn't know how, but that's all Sakharov needed. Yeah. Once he knew that ten megatons was possible, he went out and figured out how to do it. You know, the and, fact that they had men in in the Manhattan Project, in like the village that was like guarded by like mm-hmm. razor wire and guard towers. People don't know that, but like it, the actual like the scientists. We, like, we corralled them into a village surrounded by like the military because we were like in so the they, middle of the desert. Yeah, they, <laughs> did you know they used to have like they used to had a little theater and they would all do plays. Oppenheimer loved like mm-hmm. acting in plays. Yeah, actually, yeah, I think that's in one of Richard Rhodes' book. But it's in making of. Yes, yes, the, yes. There, in fact, there's a couple of uh, there's a plate of yeah. uh, all of them acting out, and they're they're like acting out the scene with the Trinity explosion, and they're using a step ladder. Yeah, uh, as the trinity tower, the tower yeah they're like doing little pyrotechnic <laughs> things and stuff but so the yeah, but, yeah they, they had to be their own entertainment but the fact that they had men in there that's insane 
Well, that's the other thing is that the Soviet spies were very dedicated yeah. and uh, because they knew what a disadvantage they were at, that yeah. they had to be willing to do anything, yeah. whatever it takes. Yeah. Um, but sorry, but yeah. anyway, I was interrupting you. Back to it. Back to it. Oh, no, that's all right. But besides, Mitzi said I'm not supposed to uh, – to monologue, monologue. <laughs> and that is you know that is that is a new rule yeah oh yeah that's true you have to ask permission <laughs> no i love and I, as i as i explained to mitzi i love when people monologue because if they don't i do and i already have my internal monologue every day i don't need to hear it more all the like the podcast the podcast ends when i stop recording for everyone else but it continues in my head and then it just goes to the next, and I start recording again. The insanity doesn't stop. So, Roger, please monologue. So, so anyway, so yeah, we we've been buying rocket engines from the Soviet Union for some of our most critical payloads, including military payloads, ever since the first Antares in the year two thousand. And around twenty fifteen, uh, some of our people started to get a little nervous about it because you started to have the, the mess in Crimea and relations were getting a little cold and uh eventually the soviet government asked us to stop using their engines to lift military payloads and so we started looking seriously at alternatives but we didn't have an engine that could compete when when we launched the shuttle we told everyone that the shuttle main engine was the most efficient rocket engine that had ever been built it was actually the second we just didn't know it at the time um Fucking so they had uh, one company that took a stab at uh, duplicating them, and their quality control wasn't up to it, uh, and they had an explosion. How the hell did we not have our quality control up to that of Soviet of Soviet quality control? How did we not? Uh, I guess I guess that just means that I have a an. I work incorrect... I work in industry. You would have you have no idea. Yeah. Well, and I guess that's also a slight to the Soviets because clearly they did it. So who am I to yeah. sit here and cast shade at? They did it. Yeah, well, you know, one of the things is that when they do something, they don't stop doing it and start with a blank piece of paper to do the next thing. They they tend to use what they had before as a starting point. I mean, they've been making Soyuz capsules since the 70s. Yeah. That's their design. Yeah. They've, in, they've improved it incrementally, but it's like those people that are building Soyuz capsules know exactly what they got to do. There's no mystery to them. It's like they're... The yeah. line operators at a Ford plant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, a, it's like a fine craft, right? Yeah. It's like leather making or something. So anyway, there's actually uh, a little contest going on right now to see who's going to replace the RD-180. And it really involves replacing the entire uh, first stage booster because so much of, you know, I mean, those rockets we're using to fly the RD-180 were designed to fly the RD-180. So you can't just say, well, we're going to bolt a different motor on it. I mean, suppose it uses methane as a fuel instead of... uh, the kerosene, which is, uh, I think, both SpaceX and uh, Blue Origin are doing. So, uh, as usual, though, I'm, my money is on SpaceX. When SpaceX is in it, your money should always be on SpaceX. Yeah, I know. I mean, it, yeah. Uh, so, the uh, they they are actually their Merlin engine. Apparently, I, I'm I'm kind of fuzzy on the details, but apparently it uses both a fuel rich and an oxygen rich stream in different places. So yeah. somehow that's better when it gets back into the combustion chamber and they recombine them or something. But you know they're they're basically saying, well, it's like we're not going to duplicate this thing. We're going to do better. Yeah, and 
yeah yeah that's i mean let's face it that's the attitude yeah did, the uh did you know that in in the book space barons by which you would love by the way you would love space barons by christian davenport you would love it it's yeah. about, about bezos and musk but just short aside early on like early in the 2000s when elon wants to sort of like make some waves about spacex he, he did like a publicity stunt i never knew this but apparently he put one of the rockets on like a flatbed and just like had it driven into dc and then just like stood around it and like basically like this is my ride and just and, and everyone was like who the hell is this guy and it was a young elon musk like you know this is my rocket it's a rocket it's gonna be big it's we're gonna be the best and they were like this is only a piece of a rocket he's like it's gonna be like 10 times bigger and they were like who the fuck is this guy with like is this a security threat and now he's fucking elon musk but yeah i'll send i'll send you a link to the book space barons by christian davenport yeah. Yeah, do that. Okay, yeah, so yeah. So anyway, uh, Buran was yeah, obviously their answer to the space shuttle, and they had the advantage of watching us do our shuttle first. But they did several things differently, and most of the people who have been watching it agree at this point that most of the decisions they made were better than the ones we made, which has a lot to do with the fact that they saw us first. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's always easier to watch someone else make the mistakes so the critical differences big number one of course liquid fuel boosters none of this solid rocket bullshit and the funny thing about that is that the the shuttle was supposed to have liquid fuel boosters in the original design but they and they were supposed to fly home it's for use but they got budgeted out because congress wouldn't give them enough money and so they cheaped out but the russians actually built liquid boosters and that's partly because they used uh, a big dumb booster instead of an external fuel tank and put the motors on the booster instead of on the shuttle Mm -hmm. and that has the advantage that when the shuttle gets to orbit you're not carrying all those thousands of pounds of dead weight that don't do you any good anymore because you're in orbit now and uh, so they they were were just like the economics of it say no throw the engines away we it's not that important to save the engines when you look at the total economics of a launch yeah. so of course they hadn't had Ellen Musk to come along and say hold my beer and uh, not only not take the engines to orbit but save them and get them back anyway you know fuck it land it <laughs> so. The technology of the 70s and 80s probably wasn't up to that. But, uh, yeah, but that that's definitely the most elegant solution. You know, so you, you not only get the engines, you get the whole first stage back and the orbiter or whatever you put in orbit doesn't have all these heavy engines hanging off the back end. Uh, they also built their shuttle to be completely remote controllable uh, from the ground up. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that made it more versatile in a lot of ways. Obviously, the one test flight that they ever did was by remote control. They didn't need to risk a crew to do it. Whereas when we sent the thing up, if half the tiles fell off and it burned up on reentry, we had two guys on that thing who were toast. Yeah. Uh, so that fortunately it worked out. Less fortunately, a little later. Um, yeah. They also saw the falling off tiles. And they knew not to go that route. Uh, from the from the outset um but a lot of the stuff they did was similar uh the guy who designed it who's, i never remember any of these people's names so 
you look it up. Uh, the government of uh, the Kremlin gave him the latitude to build whatever he wanted. The, what they saw was that the shuttle was a military weapon, mm-hmm. and they wanted to have a counter to it. Uh, they saw it as a tool for putting military payloads in orbit, and they didn't have an answer to it. So that was the thing: is that they needed something that was an answer to the shuttle. Uh, now, just like us, they also saw that it could be used to put up bits and pieces of space stations and to do service on satellites and stuff like that, which is all cool. But the reason that they funded it before they all fell and ran out of money was so that they would have a counter to this technology the U.S. would have primarily for military purposes. Mm-hmm. Now, a difference, though, is that the Soviets didn't contemplate throw, uh, throwing away their disposable rocket program. They never uh, saw a future where they wouldn't be making disposable rockets. To them, that was a technology that would continue because it made more sense for a lot of situations. So when their shuttle program got scrapped, it was no big deal. That's one of the reasons they were able to scrap it so easily when there was no more money was they weren't uh, using it for anything that they desperately needed uh, anyway. Whereas America bought heavily into this fairy tale that the shuttle was a space truck yeah that is that was a general purpose you know just like a car or a truck well it was supposed to be like a space car then it had to become a space truck because of the military guys needing to lift those payloads yeah basically the whole shuttle was designed around keyhole satellites yeah which are basically hubble space telescopes that point down instead of up (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, So it had to be big enough to loft one of those. Um, And that was not really what NASA originally wanted. You know, they, they, you know, but but they were putting so much money into it that it had to be like the, the lead thing in the game. Uh, They, I I know there were guys at NASA in the early seventies who really favored an approach where there would be a space plane that would mainly be to take the crew to orbit, but that would be roomier and more capable than, a capsule like the Apollo capsule, but that would require us to still be making disposable rockets. And there was another faction that was driven by the philosophy that we are going to the future where there will be no disposable rockets. We will reuse these rockets. We'll have a hundred launches a year. They found out if they had a hundred, if they had ever had a hundred launches a year, the ozone layer would have completely gone away. But Every time they had a launch, it put a put a big hole in the ozone layer over the launch site. Jesus um, I didn't know that. Yeah, the the Rockwell space plane isn't. <laughs> have you? Seen, it was designed in like the seventies or eighties. I can't remember the name of it. It's the Rockwell something. Yeah. Well, they got that, and also that cute little lawn dart that the Air Force launches every once in a while. That uh, I forget what the designation is supposed to be. It's supposed to be secret, but it's like everyone can see. Oh, the XP thirty seven. Yeah, it's a teeny little shuttle on the yeah. nose of a rocket. So. No, the the Rockwell space plane was like far bigger than a seven forty seven. They never built, never yeah. got off the drawing board, but yeah, would have been awesome. Yeah, well, I mean that that was kind of the the original idea was to have a, a self supporting way that was more like an airplane to take the crew and to do uh, delicate stuff that had to be handled by human beings and, and so forth. But the it, it just grew and grew and grew until it had to do everything, and so it doesn't do anything very well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, the Soviets wanted it for that uh, the, that heavy purpose. They 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 wanted a counter to the shuttle for the for the military apps, but they never saw it as completely replacing their rocket uh, the rest of their rocket program. So 
in some ways that you know that was why they didn't care so much about saving the engines they didn't contemplate this fantasy of doing 100 launches a year mm-hmm. uh they, they they wanted it for that launch that they couldn't do to match something that we we were doing um and it also had the advantage that they could just ditch the orbiter entirely and put something else on the energy stack, like a, a component of a space station or something in a fairing. They didn't need the human crew. Uh, that was the other thing is, is if it's a space plane or a space truck, it has to have a driver. Mm-hmm. And so we never really thought about the possibility of just launching it without a crew and controlling it from the ground, even though that's how all of our other rockets worked. Um, we didn't want we, we literally didn't want the shuttle to work that way. So the Soviets had a much more versatile uh, type of you know, their their vehicle could do things that the shuttle was not literally never designed to do. Uh, some of which could have been very useful. Um, so uh, of course in the late eighties the country fell they completely ran out of money and they started selling us rocket engines and shit because what else are you going to do <laughs> they actually didn't start selling us rocket engines for about 10 years uh but but uh i think they sold us the first one around 2000 okay but uh i i there is a story where uh you know they they showed the guy the warehouse and they got into some negotiations and then uh, they were like this they had the specifications and all and they're like this does what this is it's a, the number because the numbers were better than anything any of our engines put up. Yeah. So they ended up buying thirty of them, and they put one on a test stand out in California, and it it, it met its specifications. So it was like, damn, so we cold. need to design a rocket for these things. Yeah. <laughs> Those, but what? But you said they did eventually give up the the designs. Well, they yeah they gave up the designs and the, and the, the stuff. But well, one of the things about it is that the factory where they're made has its own uh, for its own forge, its own metallurgy. It does they they they, they yeah. start with raw materials, make their own metal, their own Jesus. alloys, and it's all like in one building. Jesus. And 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 they start from first principles all over the place, and then rocket engines come out the other end. So duplicating this facility. It, it's not just like building a normal plant, yeah. like you, you know, like Michoud over in East New Orleans or something. This is a place that uh, they're doing like the the whole thing from soup to nuts, and it's all together. That's one of the reasons their quality control didn't have. They they weren't like accepting products from someone else that said they were meeting the specification, but maybe they were, maybe they weren't. So you've got, you know, they, they knew, they, they knew where this metal came from. It came from down the hallway down there. Yeah. So, so they so, showed up with train cars of ore and then rocket engines pumped out. That's pretty Jesus much Christ. it. The original 3d printer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah just dump in shit. Uh, magic comes out. So, so yeah, so that was one of the reasons that we never really duplicated their their works was because it would have cost a shitload of money. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's one of those things where if you look at the economics, they wanted to know that they could if they needed to. Um, so they insisted on getting the technology. But what they got was the specifications and the recipes and everything. But we never actually built 
the whole thing because it was just cheaper and easier to pay the guys who were already tooled up and knew what they were doing to do their shit uh, rather than figuring out how to do it ourselves and, and putting something that complex together. Especially when you're looking at it, it's still a 40-year-old technology. So even though it was ahead of everybody else's, and this is the metric by which rocket motor, rocket engine designers measured themselves against ever since 1990 or so. The RD-180? Uh, hmm? The RD-180? Yeah. Uh, this was still the... Uh, yeah, well, the RD-180 was like the end result. There's like a whole family of engines that sure. use this technology. Sure. But, yeah, the, the, the basic thing is they started with these engines that were left over from the Russian moon program and updated them and modified them and, uh, you know, scaled them differently and all. But it was basically using uh, that technology. But, again, the people who originally had done it in the first place were in the best position to do it again. Uh so we never really tooled up to do it ourselves the same way because we had access to the guys who already knew what they were doing and had everything in place. That only became an issue about five years ago when stuff, you know, things started to deteriorate between us and the so you know, us and the Russians. So now they're like, oh shit, we got to do something. And like I said, the uh, it might be Blue Origin, but my money is always on SpaceX. Yeah. 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 Blue Origin. I'm fucking. I'm not even gonna go into it. You gotta read. You have to read Space Barons because we need to do a whole episode on that. Yeah. Well, I need to get a copy of the book then. So. Yeah. You do. Yeah. I'll, I'll email. I think I might be able to send you a copy because I've I've bought it and listened to it. I think I can give you a copy. It's on for Audible at least. I I can't okay. read. I don't know how to read. So it's but <laughs> but on on Audible at least. But well, it, I have a, I have a forty five minute each way commute, so that works. Out. Okay, yeah, then you, dude, it is it is a it is. I listen to a lot of audiobooks, dude. It's it is it's premium. It's solid. Um, but yeah, I was gonna go into Blue Origin, but no, we're gonna save that for another episode. But <laughs> sorry, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's now is the is the Merlin or the Raptor engine for SpaceX? Uh, well, actually, both uh, both of them are. I think the well, yeah, uh, I mean, one yeah. one one of them is the engine they're using now, and one of them is the engine that they want to put on Starship, and that's the one that is supposed to be more efficient than the RD one eighty using this advanced technology to reuse the fuel and all. Oh, uh, but like one one thing they did uh, that I, I think they're using methane as fuel instead of kerosene. Well, right there, that, that changes the whole design of the rocket that sits on top of it. So you can't just bolt that engine up on a rocket that was designed for a RD-180 and expect it to work. Yeah, so, dump out uh, the Coke and put it in Sprite. It's not the, it's not, <laughs> yeah, it's not the same. It's, there's a reason it's called rocket science, right? Yeah, so uh, that that's kind of going on in the background even as we, as we speak. So yeah. that that's hasn't been resolved what's going to happen in the future with it but uh congress basically stepped in a year or two ago and passed a law that said okay uh no more soviet rocket engines uh we'll give you till 2022 to come up with something else but then then you got to stop buying some soviet rocket get off the soviet teeth uh yeah so uh that's one of the reasons these programs are going on as congress basically told them enough is enough and uh I, I'm sure there was a certain degree of political embarrassment sure. over it too when it was discovered. Not only that, man, you got to think of uh, the the 
you gotta think of like constituent uh, districts and shit. If we're buying these, we're not producing defense contractor X in my home state, right? Right. So that's a that's a. Well, and plus that. Well, and, and let's face it, exceptionalism has always driven the space program in every country that has a serious space program. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like it's 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 part of the national declaving contest, and the fact that that you're buying engines from your competitor there is like. Uh, it, no, it's a total. Yeah, it's a total beta move to like that's, the fact that we that, have to hitch rides on the soyuz for several years yeah is that like, is that is that is sand in the vaseline man it is <laughs> it is uh, i love the i love the meme that was like it was like 1969 to when was the space shuttle retired uh, oh. 2012 2011 yeah somewhere in that area we'll, we'll just we'll call it whatever we'll call it 2010 whatever it's it's 1969 to 2010 it's uh, space flight, like USA, USA, from 2010 to summer 2020, and it shows the Amer- Sorry, it's the it's 1969 to 2010. Americans yeah. space flight is USA. Americans 2010 to summer 2020. Guys, spaces. There are no borders in space. We're one people. <laughs> We're all going to orbit. Let's drop the nationalism, yeah. and then it's the date that we launched the guys from SpaceX, and it's it's all about cooperation <laughs> and get fucked, USA, USA. It's, it's just, hold it, hold it. We still need the Soyuz, all right? This is a group effort. It's a group effort. Yeah. American rockets from American soil. <laughs> and and then they're like, and if something fucks up, it's going to be guys. We're all one species, all right? <laughs> just, just the Americans, just two faced. That's yeah that, that that says a lot don't yeah. it <laughs> but you're right it's but it's exceptionalism and it's i mean health there's i i you know on some cases we see where it's not so good but i think there is healthy ego i do think that there's healthy <laughs> ego like c- competition and i think i mean to an extent when the dick waving turns into icbm waving that's a problem but when it's just yeah. if we can keep it in just space race i think everyone benefits mm-hmm. Like I think the best thing that could happen would be for the Soviets or the CCP to come out with their own space force. I think that's the best thing that could happen. Yeah, well, there's there's some question as to whether the the engine works that makes the RD one eighty is going to survive because they've made ninety percent of their money selling engines to the West, um, uh. and if that comes to an end, then you know because because Russia is still mostly capitalist now, so you know they're they're there's no more government supporting the means of production they got to make money or they shutter the place and uh start selling to china maybe well china is more interested in having their own capability if you look at them they're not as worried about being number two as they are about being shut out of the game it's why they never participated they 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 were worked very hard to get a few icbms but then they only built a few of them they, they 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 built enough to seriously ruin your day, if you ruin theirs. But they didn't blow their economy yeah. going to all this excess like both the U.S. and Russia did. Which is which is a brilliant move. Yeah, I, I mean you, you you gotta give it to the Chinese. They've they've been doing. They're tacticians. This, yeah. So yeah, that's that is the, uh, the the Russians are your theoreticians with the elegant math. The Chinese are your tacticians. Who, uh, who know better than to interrupt you when you're making a mistake and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And we're the guys who go in with our broadswords. <laughs> yeah, we're... 
<laughs> yeah, we're uh, yeah, you're right, and it's yeah, we just go in screaming with red, white, and blue smoke flares hanging out of our ass, shooting off. We're just mag dumping into the sky, screaming for better or worse. It's but yeah, well, I was gonna, the reason I brought up China wasn't just as my you know my normal white American China I just use as a, a scapegoat for everything that goes wrong, is but so much is that because well, it got me think what you said mostly capitalist in russia now right the antonov design bureau antonov was it's he was one of the premier if not the premier uh aircraft designer in soviet union had his own had his own office had his own like vacation home was very much catered to by the by the government because he was so good at what he did and they created the antonov 225 which carried the buran which I didn't even think about as like a corollary, but that's not even what I was getting to. It was just the 225, that six-engine monster. They built two, and then the Soviet Union collapsed, and they had nothing to do with it. And there's a great documentary that came out in like the early 2000s of these guys in, at the Antonov Design Bureau. And it's almost like they start dab- like like teenagers dabbling with like sex or alcohol. They start dabbling with capitalism. They're like, what if we, you know, like rent out plane to other like corporations and they start making cash and they're like you can literally see them in like real time like learning capitalism they're like what if we use cash inflow to build up the 225 and they start projecting it and they're like let's build the 225 and they built it and the 225 has been taking orders around the clock for the last like decade and a half china is now ordering i think 10 because there's only one in the world but the thing is i'm getting to is the fall of the Soviets, less government care, and the Antonov, that's a very real world example that's happening right now. The Chinese military, the CCP, is ordering a fleet of these. So maybe the same thing happens with rocket engines. Yeah, well, well, I mean, SpaceX is definitely uh, working on doing doing the that on our end. Of course, they, they started out. Yeah, of course, you got to remember that hardly any of the companies that have been doing space have been as capitalist as SpaceX, even in the United States. They've all been basically uh, sucking on the government to, as yeah. far as, you know, they get a nice fat contract yeah. and then it goes over 250%. Sorry, dudes, man, you don't pay it, then we're screwed. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so, so, no, SpaceX is like, no, we're, we're, we're going to make money. We're, we're going to make money, honestly. We're yeah. going to give you a better product for a lower price and it's not going to blow up as much yeah yeah and it's <laughs> and uh, but but again the chinese have yeah now they're starting to flex their muscles in space more uh they're you know doing their moon mission uh their little space station uh but so but it's hard to tell how much of that is for our consumption and how much of it is just to keep the leaders uh, happy? I mean, it's because they're you know they're very tight uh, about their thing. They they I don't think they I don't think they signed the Outer Space Treaty, so they they're perfectly free to land on the moon and plant a flag there. Mm-hmm. You know, and only more seriously than we did. Um, but the, the they were not interested for a long time in manned space exploration uh, because they probably saw it as a dick-waving contest and it was better to watch us waste our money on it. But now they're getting interested. But again, they're not doing the extravagance. It's more like they see that there are commercial applications, there are industrial applications for zero gravity, uh, and 
the competition has kind of bowed out. So it's an opportunity for them to, you know, but they, but they wouldn't be doing it if they didn't see practical applications as well as the the flag waving. Because, because if, you, if you look at it, even though they've done stuff they've never done before, they haven't really been as loud about it as either the U.S. or the Soviets were when we accomplished something big. Mm-hmm. You know, let's face it, Sputnik goes up, there's headlines all over the world. You know, it's on the front page of the paper. Uh, China puts a rover on the moon and it's on page 10. I didn't even know China had put a rover on the moon. There you go. Oh yeah, China put a rover on the moon. Little teeny thing didn't last very long. They got they got something to learn, but, but uh, still, as someone yeah, that, they, yeah, as someone that considers myself somewhat well read, I didn't know. Yeah, that. it was like the Chiangji or something. Sure. That was named after one of their their moon goddess. Yeah, uh, but the uh, you know it was very similar to Pathfinder. It okay. was a. It was a mostly. It's a fixed lander that had this teeny little rover that would come out and run around and communicate mainly through its mothership. Uh, but you know that way it could explore uh, the, the immediate area, and uh, it didn't last very long because they missed one of the environmental considerations. You know, doing the moon is surprisingly hard if you don't do it at lunar. Uh, sunrise all of the apollo missions were conducted at the same time of lunar day yep and you don't think about that because the moon turns so slowly but uh that was a big advantage for thermal control because you can get there when the ground is not stupidly cold or stupidly hot Mm -hmm. whereas a lander is in the same place Mm -hmm. all day long and a day is two weeks long and it goes from well over the boiling point of water to liquid nitrogen back and forth back and forth uh, so uh, we found out about that from the surveyors and uh, before we had Apollo we launched a couple of surface landers uh, and they sent back TV pictures until they failed mm-hmm. uh, that's how we had some idea what the landscape looked like because because you know you remember it, in those in those days it was widely conjectured that the moon dust would be so soft you would sink into yeah. it yeah things like that like powder so snow. yeah uh, so we at least knew that uh it wasn't going to be like that you know we, we we had surface landed a couple of things and in fact one of the things apollo 12 did was they executed a precision landing and got close enough to one of the surveyors to walk to it and salvage parts to bring back to see how the lunar environment had affected them uh, that's insane yeah that's so insane yeah they were they were uh there was some neat. There's some neat stuff that was done on the surface of the moon. There's a series of. Uh, there's a website that has the uh, the lunar uh, the Apollo Surface Journal, which has uh, all of the dialogue between Mission Control and the astronauts for all okay. of the moon missions. Okay. So so you can see what they did, and they, they have some of the pictures that were taken and all. And so yeah, I was like I hadn't realized until uh, a couple of years ago. That, that happened but, but one of the problems with uh, though was Apollo 12 brought a color camera you know because one of the things is on 11 was the, the pictures were crappy but at the very first time they put, took the lens cap off the camera they accidentally pointed it at the sun and burnt out the video tube <laughs> that's what the government wants you to believe yeah so the, so the pictures from Apollo 12 were still crappy yeah um, yeah I was gonna say and of course Apollo Apollo 13 didn't make it um, so you really uh, forget whether Apollo, I think Apollo 14 was the first J mission 
that was able to stay for uh, five days, you know, like five days instead of two or something. I mean, it was like they uh, they had the uh, I, now I want to think was it fourteen or fifteen? They they introduced the lunar rover, uh, and they were able to do a lot more. Yeah. Uh, because let's face it, all they were concerned about on 11 was, was getting there, planting the flag, walking around a bit, leaving the ALSEPS modules, and then getting the hell out. Just, um, yeah. And on 12, they did salvage the surveyor camera, that was, which is, I mean, it's really cool, because you know, there's pictures of the Apollo 12 astronaut you know, taken by the other astronaut trying to break shit off of this spaceship that you know, we had sent up two years ago and all. And uh, you know, people who weren't alive to read the accounts didn't even know about it in fact i was young enough that i had missed that and so i didn't realize that they had done that until i went back and started researching it uh it was some years ago now but it was like i lived through this i should have seen it's like i didn't know that they did that i did know the story about the precision landing the uh the mission director was extremely pissed that they spent some time trying to figure out where the hell 11 had landed um, because they overshot their yeah. intended land, landing site. And, of course, the moon's gravitational field isn't consistent. They, there mm-hmm. are large masses called mascons under the surface, so your orbit isn't stable. And uh, they ended up on the surface, but they, they, they were uncertain to, you know, like within tens of miles where they were. And uh, the uh, mission... Uh, director was just like i don't care what you have to do i want a precision landing next time yeah and uh in order to do it they had to come up with this creative because the computer programs in the the lander and the and the or and the command module they couldn't change those it was uh an enormous effort had gone into making the, the those computers work at all uh, so they came up with a creative way of manipulating one of the variables one of the, what they call the nouns uh, in order to fake out the program so that it would uh, not return an accurate result but would return the result that they needed in order to get where they knew they needed to be when they knew that they weren't where they were supposed to be at that point and, I'm too stupid for that Roger yeah, uh, I, I think I think that the uh, the uh, the girls at that movie was about had something to do with that stuff. Okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> the it, uh, the the actual computer. They yeah, no, there's yeah. yeah, that's but that's what the people were called back then were hidden, computers. Yeah. yeah. Oh, h- h- hidden figures. Yeah. This is this is a point where the fact is, so, so I didn't review this stuff the way that I reviewed some of the other stuff before our podcast. So I'm getting into areas where my inability to remember names is, you know, let me tell you, when you, when you hit 40, you can feel the neurons starting to die. Oh, it's like, God. I, I knew this. I know that I, I know this. I saw this movie. Why can't it's, I remember its name? It's that. Yeah. It's that feeling when you're like really. It's like, and it, it's all, all kinds of people say, oh, no, that's normal. That, that happens to everybody. It's, like, it's, it's that feeling when well, you get hung over and you're like yeah have you ever seen that meme and it's <laughs> it's superman as someone's like as like he's removed from like the prox from in the proximity of krypton and the meme is like it's one of the old like original drawings of him like the 50s but he's like my powers they're coming back but me and my friends always used <laughs> to use that meme in college when it'd be like we get super <laughs> fucked up and then the next day was a game day we'd have hair of the yeah. dog and we'd start drinking whiskey and it'd be like 
my powers. <laughs> I'd start coming back and be like, I can talk. I'm like, I can take a shower. My appetite's back. Like, and really, it was just, you know, blossoming alcoholism. But, it was, yeah. but yeah, that's all I was going to say. Yeah, we did go to the moon. Episode 216, Charlie Duke on this podcast went yeah. to the moon, which I, I still can't wrap my head around. And he had one of the J missions, so yeah. he he was on the moon for a while and yeah. did a lot of stuff. Yeah, he was. So, yeah, he was on sixteen. Yeah. Was the backup for thirteen and seventeen. Was Capcom for eleven. He was he was all in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I've had people comment. I've I've been meaning to address this. Yeah, I've been having. I've had people like comment or email or text me like, "Why were you like?" Because if you go back and watch the episode with Charlie Duke, I'm like smiling and like snickering the entire time. It's because I'm talking to a guy that walked on the moon. Yeah. I, I just can't help. I'm giddy. I, I'm just. I'm just like. Doesn't matter what you say. I'm like. Just like. I'm like this. This guy walked yeah. on the moon. So yeah. For anyone that's it's like this yeah. is this is this is one of my heroes who did something that I dream of, and he's giving me the time of day. I know, right? It's he's yeah. talking to me. He said Tommy, and I'm like, holy shit, you're alive. You're not a deep fake. You're not. It's. <laughs> He's one of 12. Almost four times as many men have been the president. Almost 23 times as many men have been the pope. <laughs> All right? Yeah. He's... Oh. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah, it's probably going to stay that way for a while. I mean, actually, it's it's starting to look iffy whether, you know, how, how long of a period there'll be where none of them are alive and there won't be it's anyone true. alive who walked on the moon anymore. It's true. There's only four right now. Harrison Schmidt, uh, David Scott. Is it David Scott or Eric Scott? Um, Charlie Duke and Buzz Aldrin. Yeah, it's and they're and they're all way up there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Buzz is like ninety something. Mister Duke is, I believe, eighty seven. Yeah, it's no. I mean, you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know it talking to Charlie Duke. Oh, uh, they 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 were all like super healthy guys. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, they have the right stuff. They still do. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, but but yeah, he was great. Yeah, he was. I was, but, uh, yeah. I, I forget which one of the astronauts it was who figured out that uh, human time on the moon cost about a million dollars a minute. <laughs> when you when you looked at the cost of the whole program and the number of hours that yeah. human beings, uh, you know, the number of man hours that uh, were spent on the moon, yeah. Uh, so you, it's kind of a responsibility that you have to take seriously. Yeah. One thing I never thought about is that he, he said in one of his interviews, he was like, he was like, that your your suit doesn't move when you move. Like when you turn your head, it doesn't, you know, it's mm-hmm. just, he goes, so when you look up, you didn't see the earth. You just saw the top of your helmet. And he said it wasn't yeah. until he <laughs> fell over backwards that he saw the earth and was just like, <laughs> oh, my God. But, yeah, it's – yeah, that's one thing that – I don't know why it's one aspect that always – of all the you know just the general it's the moon one thing that always gets me is like they stayed there like they slept there like they woke up mm-hmm. they yawned they you know well they, they, the they were supposed they, they were supposed to sleep there if you read the uh the interview some of them didn't actually get much sleep while they were on the moon how do you just like yeah <laughs> just you know oh, i'm on the fucking moon <laughs> like yeah you're have you ever seen the uh the onion the onion video or you know the news site there the satirical news site but, the onion yeah yeah i've seen i've seen some of their uh have you seen articles their original moon articles that came out in like the late 90s no and it's like the actual transcript and it's like tranquility base here holy fucking shit <laughs> we are on the fucking moon i 
I can't. This is one small. Oh my! I'm on. I'm. I'm on the fucking moon. Buzz, look at me. I'm on the fucking moon. And then you hear like tranquility base. We got you. This is fucking insane. <laughs> it's just like I can't. Holy tit balls! I can't believe it. I th- now that now that you're doing that, I think I do remember seeing that one. Yeah. But uh, yeah, well, it's like, what is that like? But yeah. On the other hand, you're also quarter million miles from anybody else, so it's. It's little danger there. It's. I didn't ask him out of like respect, because I don't want my dumbass to go in all the like, conspiracies. But I wanted to be like, is there anything up there? Is there anything? Is there like an old like? Is there like ruins? Is there something? But yes, I, I saw that Transformers movie too. Yes. <laughs> Fuck you, Roger. So help me God. I will ban you from this podcast. Um, but if that or 2001 A Space Odyssey, it took every ounce of willpower I had. I decided I decided the morning of. I was like, I will not waste a second of this man's time with conspiracy questions. Yeah. I was, it's, it's kind of the respectful thing to do. That's, yeah. I was like, it's... Besides, besides you know, uh, those guys get that shit more than they want to anyway yes yes and, and it, it, but but you did have the advantage that he couldn't do like buzz aldrin and punch you through the computer so i think charlie duke would have no problem finding me and beating the shit out of me <laughs> would come, i'm gonna come get you <laughs> yeah yeah I'm a, yeah buzz aldrin yeah buzz aldrin i've been second. on the moon yeah. <laughs> you're not a problem <laughs> i can get there i can get to you yeah <laughs> it's yeah Hey, I think all of these guys flew fight. You know, well, most of them flew fighter jets. All from the Air Force, like yeah. Too, all from the so. Air Force, yeah. It's, yeah. Well, one of the guys on seventeen was actually a geologist. I forget what. what I, I don't remember any of their names off the top of my head. Neither can I. Well, I, I was no Charlie Duke was sixteen. Never mind. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was one of the things when they shortened the program and they were rearranging the crew schedules around as they wanted to get an actual scientist onto the moon. So that was that was their their chance. They uh, they they got the geologist who they had been training onto 17 before mm-hmm. the program ended. Um, and that apparently worked out real well, too. Yeah. Do you think not just time for some some wild speculation based on nothing? Do you think we're going to see manned Mars in our lifetime? Lifetime is possible, but in the near future, probably not. And the main reason is we don't know how to land there. Uh, we don't even know approximately how to land there. And you know, so I think that is a problem that is probably going to take longer to solve than some people want to admit because the problem with Mars is it has just enough atmosphere to fuck your shit up but not enough to actually stop you before you hit the ground so uh, you can't just easily do a direct landing like you do on the moon because there's too much atmosphere and it'll burn you up before you lose enough velocity so you've kind of got to use parachutes but no matter how big you make the parachutes they're not going to stop you before you hit the ground so you still have to do a direct landing yeah. at the end which is kind of the thing curiosity even has to do and curiosity is only the size of, of, of a golf cart uh yeah the, the the whole little uh airbag thing don't work for things that weigh too much and they don't work for human beings 
so yeah. the, the problem is if you look at the size of a capsule that you need to put a viable crew on the surface, even if you've lift, even if you put all the rest of the equipment by some other method, then putting uh, four or five human beings on the surface of Mars in one operation, we have no clue how to land something that heavy on that planet without taking so much fuel along that it would be just ridiculous. I think the way that the theoretical thing was done in the Martian is that the high, the high uh, thrust fuel was shipped there in the high impulse, low thrust ship. So uh, the big ship, they only had one of it, and it did the shuttle service back and forth. Uh, but the you know while it was in the vicinity of Earth, they would ship fuel up to yeah. it that for the higher thrust engines that could be used to drop to the surface and reascend. Now I know a part of Musk's plan is to make fuel for the ascent uh, using sunlight and raw materials and whatever. Um, which is time consuming, but if you land your ascent stage early on and let it sit on the surface for a few years making fuel, then uh, you know you may have your base materials there and fuel to get back to the uh, the, the high impulse, low thrust ship that can take you home. But all of this is, I mean, you think think about how long it took us to build the ISS, and the ISS would not be adequate. For a ship to take you to Mars, it wouldn't. No, God because they they well trying to do it without uh, some you know, at least some artificial gravity section or or simulated gravity uh, apparatus to exercise in. Uh, you're not talking about the, the longest anyone has stayed on the ISS now is you know what in the vicinity of a year mm-hmm. about um, and uh, a practical Mars mission is going to take a minimum of two uh, and it can't be resupplied. So if you, if you look at that and, and the frequency with which things break means that you have to have parts because you can't be resupplied. You can't call home and say, Oh, the, the duplicate meter broke. We need another one. And we'll put that on the next SpaceX capsule because yeah. it isn't going to be an next SpaceX capsule till you get home. Yeah. So it's a, completely different uh thing so i mean when you look at the effort it took us to build the iss and look at the ship in the martian yeah which i think is a realistic uh depiction of something that could actually work mm-hmm. uh of course that's the guy is good at who, who wrote it you know um but i don't think we're going to be in a position to build something like that uh within the next 10 years god damn and and without uh, something like that, it's kind of hard to imagine uh, any kind of humans on Mars scenario. Yeah. Uh, so now you could do, you know, of course, a lot of people are disappointed that the Apollo mission was done in such a way that it didn't result in a long term presence on the moon. It didn't lay the groundwork, uh, which, of course, all of the pioneers, including Von Braun, or thinking that would be your first step into deep space and you would use it to build a base. And instead, we did this lunar orbit rendezvous thing where you basically take the rocket apart uh, as you're going and coming back until you basically land on a skateboard. Yeah. And, just stripping as you go. Yeah. You just strip. And, and 
that was what made the mission possible in the time frame that it was done in though yeah. uh if if they had taken you know von braun's approach was that you would land a team of 30 or 40 people and have several ships some that would just be uh the supplies that they would use to build a base and everything and uh yeah, well, I mean, that would have been better for the long term, but yeah. uh, it wouldn't have happened in the time frame that it did, and the money to do it didn't exist. I don't think there was that much political will into the concept of beating the Russians to the moon. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so instead of sending a a proper, uh, well, basically, instead of mounting a colonization attempt, we mounted a, a cursory uh, exploration. Yeah. So. We, this this wasn't the Mayflower. This was Lewis and Clark. Yeah. This yeah. This wasn't. Yeah. This was the showpiece. This was get there with the flag, get the picture. Yeah. Well, and also the exploration. We learned a lot more than people realize uh, from the the lunar missions, and we didn't learn a lot of it until the data that were collected were analyzed with more modern uh, instruments and and you know computers and detectors for the rock samples and all. But uh, without the Apollo missions, we probably would not know that, as we are pretty sure now, that the moon was created in a giant collision mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. by a, Mars, uh, a Mars-sized body with the proto-Earth uh, that knocked all this material into orbit, which coalesced to form the moon. But because we went there and because we collected enough samples and also things like the orbital gravity signature and stuff uh, – you know, we, we really didn't know anything about the place before we visited, and we suddenly knew quite a bit more. Uh, I remember one of the astronauts who uh, who was not one of the ones who stayed on the moon. He was one of the ones who stayed in the, the capsule yeah. in orbit. Yeah. And they had an instrument that was doing a radar survey or something. But uh, he, he noticed – it was actually – there was there – was, several instruments collecting different readings and they were printing of course everything at that time was printing on graph you know the, yeah. the little rolling graphs right and he saw that these two instruments were drawing the same curves as you know they were measuring completely different things okay and i forget the details of it but he said in that moment he knew the moon had once been molten okay because because that was the only way to uh explain correlating two yeah. completely different physical properties were uh uh yeah arcing in the same way slave to you know were, were ganged to one another yeah so uh yeah there, there there's a lot people don't realize how much we learned about going to space doing material science the you know the computers and electronics as well as little details like where the moon came from i mean you know it, i think it is worth knowing things like that yeah when when i was a kid uh, I had a book about the solar system and it was all artists' impressions. That was all there was. No human built machine had ever been to the surface of another planet. Fuck. Yeah. And, you know, the, uh, of course, in, with Apollo, we sent the surveyors. The Russians sent uh, a, a rover. In fact, I think they sent a couple of rovers, which were pretty successful. They had their guys who normally designed tanks for warfare, designed their lunar rovers. <laughs> Gotta love it. Uh, that, that's that's the, the, the Russians. Uh, but uh, the... Uh, 
there was so so you had that little flurry of unmanned activity, and then we followed it up by actually going there with you know human eyes and cameras and stuff. So all of a sudden, the world, the moon was a real place with a surface. Uh, but uh, our best pictures of the other planets were still from outer space. You know, we had done at that time. I think we had already done a couple of flybys of Mars that were halfway decent. Uh, we knew shit about the outer solar system. I don't think we had done Mercury yet. The Soviets did Venus. Yeah, uh, uh, it was not Viking. Was it Viking? Venera? Venera. No, Viking was Viking was our Mars lander. It was, yes, yeah. Venera was the Soviets' Venus landers. Yeah, and they they managed to last like you know two hours on the surface of Venus before the heat got them. I mean, if that is not the best like example of like this like Soviet meme, <laughs> like be strong, like. Well, it was actually when you look at how hostile the surface of Venus is that they got anything that well, they that's got what I mean. data from. That's what I mean. That, yeah, that they got data from the surface of Venus is pretty badass because every time we tried, it fried. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The atmospheres, the the temperature, the rain. You know, the sulfuric acid rain. That little part. It's now it was the other way around with Mars. Uh, the Soviets. Uh, non-landing space missions to mars all flopped dismally i know they did one uh that got there before uh our big orbiting uh our first really successful orbiter which i don't remember which one it was but i know the soviets had a mission but it was all Mm pre-programmed and as the spacecraft was approaching mars a huge a, a huge dust storm enveloped the planet and they couldn't alter the mission profile because it had been pre-programmed into the orbiter and so they got all of these beautifully detailed pictures of dust flying around in the atmosphere they got like no information about the surface when we got there there was a similar thing but uh because dust storms happen on mars all the time but we were able to extend the mission and you know uh change the profile so that we could wait out the storm and uh that was the thing, thing thing is just like we had the bad luck in venus and russia had the bad luck with mars and then uh of course we hit it out out of the park in the outer solar system with the vikings yeah um, and the yeah, voyager and so uh but the voyagers rather yeah um but you know it was like one at a time we've actually uh gotten something to the surface of of these worlds are close enough from orbit for a world like Mercury that we can tell, okay, we can pretty much tell what this is going to be like if you were down there. Uh, so that this entire book that was nothing but drawings that I had when I was like five years old, so it would have been maybe 69, mm-hmm. uh, one at a time, they became photographs. In, in, instead of being speculation, it became fact yeah. about these worlds yeah. until the last, the last hole was Pluto. And New Horizons fixed that. That was that was the last world whose surface we had not seen in detail, and uh, you know it's it's almost hard to remember that in my lifetime there was there was a time when we hadn't seen the surface of any of the solar systems worlds any better than you can see it through a telescope from your backyard. Yeah, that's that's kind of like that shows how much we're still like in the cradle right that shows how much we're still as a species in the cradle like barely taking first steps yeah well it's the 
right now we're at the point where yeah we're driving radio control cars around on mars as one of your guests did and uh doing the the closer examinations i think the next big thing is probably going to be investigating one of the ocean worlds yeah. um to see if there's any sign of life there and uh actually our best uh candidate for that is suddenly starting to look like Ceres, mm-hmm. the asteroid because uh, oh, it's okay because it's both closer and uh it was just a lot easier to get to uh and it's starting to look like it has a huge under under ice ocean so well we've got we've got the one going to mars right now that has a helicopter on it yeah that that's and uh and it's also uh, it's also a uh a rover uh now the helicopter on this one isn't going to actually do very much uh it's going to drop the rover's going to drive a little way out from it and it's going to pick up and they're just going to do basically a short experimental flight it's not going to get very high off the ground or go very far it's it's more to prove the concept that they can get a flying machine onto the surface and fly it around uh but it's not going to have like an extended mission where it gets recharged again yeah. and it goes you know it goes along with the rover on you know it's the rover's going to leave it yeah. and it's just going to be space junk on the surface of mars yeah but i mean you know what what's the thing that's always compared is yeah 67 years between the right flyer and saturn 5 i mean you gotta start somewhere so it's gonna start with a little yeah. you know just flying around like yeah. it's gonna start with that and then it's gonna be hey it was only yeah. 67 years between x yeah. and y well, then if you if you look at what they've done in the past though if you look at pathfinder yeah where the rover was a similar little throwaway experiment that just happened to over, you know, it uh, did a lot better than they expected, uh, but uh, proved what was possible. So they moved from that to landing actual rovers that were decent uh, science labs uh, that were the primary mission instead of having the primary mission being a static lander with the rover as an afterthought. So I think that's what you will see is that now that they know that they can make it work, then they're already thinking about uh, how we do a mission that uses flight in a more primary way Mm -hmm. to gather more data. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's going to be like the difference between the original and the J missions that had the the lunar rover on the moon. Because, you know, when you're limited by how far you can walk in a spacesuit. Yeah. Uh before you're you know uh, with a with a safety margin to make sure that your life support doesn't run out versus how far you can drive in a car that can go 8 miles an hour then all of a sudden you're able to cover a lot more ground. Yeah. And by careful selection of their uh destinations on the moon they were able to get a really wide uh, amount of geological data. Sorry, hold on. Moving the moving a hard drive. Um, yeah. One second. I want to show you something. Um, you cool if we wrap this one up in in like five minutes? Sure, whatever you want. Hold on. I wanna I wanna. I got this in the. Uh, got this one in the mail. Uh, newest edition. Sixteen terabytes. <laughs> Just. It's the same price as the one I got for 10 terabytes this time last year. Yeah, just kind of on the happens. note of the last episode was just general progression. <laughs> is 
This podcast sponsored by Seagate, including all the insane, <laughs> misogynistic, <laughs> inappropriate things I say. Thanks, Seagate. <laughs> I'll I expect my cease and desist from them, but yeah. So okay, so yes, that space we've. <laughs> yeah, that's where we are right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry for uh, sorry for throwing that on your dish last night. Of like, hey, are we doing Baran? And you were like, oh, touch up. I was like, fuck. I thought. I apologize. I shouldn't have thrown no, that. No, that's in. Not, not, a, not a problem. It, it's, uh, I mean, I got the Wikipedia too, so I can, you know. I mean, it's mainly reminding myself the names of things yeah. because I've, I do know a lot of this stuff off the top of my head, but what I don't know is people's names. I've always had a mental block about that, so yeah. it's like the names of the programs, the names of the engines, and all. So I just went back and was like, oh yeah, that was what that was called. Yeah, uh, yeah. So and it's easy for me to find because I do know what I'm looking for. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah, it was it wasn't a big deal at all. I was, you said you wanted to talk about Garan, so I was like, okay, yeah, I can I can go back and re re familiarize. But you can see when I get off the reservation and like that movie that I saw, it's like <laughs> that I saw like six months ago. Yeah, you know, and won however many Academy Awards and all that. Uh, but it's but but I can program a computer, man. So yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, also more than anything, I I always appreciate your episodes, dude, because it's it's a free. I mean, it's I get like a yeah, I get like a sixty minute documentary every week, and it's interactive. I get to ask questions, and it's like I appreciate it. I, I legitimately do. I legitimately fucking look forward to our meetings every week. It's I just get a science yeah. lesson. Well, it's it's fun for me too because it's you uh, sometimes you lose perspective on just how much you've experienced and gone through, and so it's kind of fun for me to go back and review. Yeah. And it's like, damn, I remember doing that. You, mean, the, you have, uh, an, you you know, have an insane the, amount of knowledge. You do. Yeah. Well, I've 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 you know I've had a very interesting job as well as you know some people thinking I'm pretty talented. Um, they uh, my connection with our space shuttle is when I was. Uh, 17 I have a something in common with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez I won a major prize at the International Science Fair really? Uh, yeah so uh, yeah she, she she did too but uh, I won a third award in physics there's there's 10 categories you know, physics, math, biology, blah 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 so I, I won a third award in physics for putting a radioactive source on top of the memory chips in my computer and extrapolating the cosmic rays were probably not causing the soft errors that were sometimes being seen then because I didn't see any soft errors when I was using my dad's radioactive source to duke my RAM chips. And what they liked about it uh, particularly was that I, I recognized that a negative result was valuable. I expected this to create errors mm -hmm. that I would detect and I didn't. And because I was basically nuking these chips with a form of radiation that silicon is more sensitive to than it is to cosmic rays and with a lot more of it than you have in the cosmic ray flux. Where I was able to say the rate that they say these things are happening, this can't be explained. You would yeah. have like one every 400 years. So they gave me, uh, they, I got the general third award, which was a nice little cash thing and metal. But there is a bunch of, uh, other awards that are given by different third parties like each branch of the military gives one and uh, I got the Air Force's first award because I guess my thing on computer errors and radiation was more interesting to them than the guy who did violins, violins and the other one who did some crystallography thing so the prize was a 10 day tour of Air Force installations all around the country 
That's uh, badass. It, it, it was. We got to meet the Secretary of the Air Force. Fuck it yeah. Was Ver, it was Vern Orr under Ronald Reagan. They took us to the Pentagon. We drove past the mall. We flew into Washington and uh, Andrews AFB, drove straight to the Pentagon, met the Secretary of the Air Force. He asked us each what our project was and everything. Then we got back in the car, drove back to the Air Force Base and flew out. Didn't stop at the mall. Didn't see anything else in Washington, D.C. <laughs> but we... Uh, they, they, uh, we got to walk around on top of the EMP trestle. Uh, Jesus. <laughs> flew in, flew in. One of the planes we flew in uh, had uh, was a radar trainer. So we all had our own private little radar set to play with. That's badass. But but anyway, they, they kept telling us, we got a real treat planned for you when we get to Florida. We're not sure if we're going to be able to do it. We're still negotiating because of the security arrangements. But they, they pulled it off. And when we visited uh, Kennedy, we got to walk around underneath the shuttle orbiter Columbia while they were refitting it between its first and second missions in space. Jesus. And and, and so so the, the, there's all these guys walking around with machine guns and shit to protect everything. The security was insane. But, Jesus. Uh, and this was when they had the tile thing. So it's like every one of those fucking tiles had a little label on it. Oh, yeah. Some were red and some were yellow and all. And it's like oh, these guys on ladders doing tests and shit. Uh, but it was just not. The thing is fucking huge. The space shuttle? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, I, wrote, I wrote in one of my descriptions of that, this thing that looks like a lawn dart on top of a Pringles can. Uh, when you're actually standing under it, looks like the roof of an auditorium. <laughs> it just goes forever. Jesus. Um, but uh, so, so that was like when the Columbia was destroyed. Mm-hmm. That was a very kind of a personal thing for me. Well, that's what I was thinking. Is like, okay, wow. I remember seeing. Yeah. I remember. I yeah. I vividly remember that morning. I was like in seventh grade or something. Yeah. Yeah, I I was actually in Natchitoches, Texas, where some of the debris okay. fell yeah. uh, just a week before the disaster. In fact, I was in the hotel room watching the NASA coverage, like the the live NASA TV on the cable uh, of the mission, uh, before I drove home. And yeah, that's... so it was like so it was like yeah, it was less than a week. It was just a few days after I got home, then the the news is that the shuttle was destroyed. And I was like, wait a minute. This, that was what I was, was, and and a lot of the debris fell on the town that I was staying in there. That's weird. So, that's a weird. Yeah, that's so, a weird. It's a weird woo, right? Yeah, it, it's yeah. It was. Like, I, I actually wrote an article about it for Corrosion called "Bookends in Time," and you know it was like it was very weird because it's like I was personally there yeah. near the beginning of its life, and I was personally there near the end of its life. That's very weird. Yeah, that's yeah. I always, I felt that way about not nearly as majestic. Yours is about a beautiful spacecraft. Mine's about the comedian Bill Hicks. <laughs> but his, I I discovered him, you know, the, the, his most probably most famous quote. Right today, a young man on acid realized that we we're all one. You know that whole thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I discovered that while at school in Valdosta, Georgia, and I was like, this is brilliant, and like found out like William Hicks, like born in Valdosta, Georgia. I was like, oh my god, that's awesome. I need to go see this, like, comedian. Not knowing that he had been dead for, like, 17 years at that point. And I was like, oh, yeah. fuck. But he died near where I lived in Arkansas when I was little. Wow. I was like, that's a little weird. But, you know, maybe that's just me trying to associate my own mediocrity with someone who's brilliant. I was like, technically, we're the same. 
right? Because I visited two, two similar. He was regarded as like top yeah. three comics of all time. I mean, you know, it's we're the same, right? It's, you know, you smudge the math. I am Bill Hicks. Like, let's just call it what it is. I'm Bill Hicks. I I am I'm better than Bill Hicks. Let's just, you know, let's. <laughs> that's, but yeah, it's um. Don't know about better, but no, yeah. I'm not even no. Don't even yeah. yeah no I'm not anywhere no goddamn Bill Hicks is a yeah. Bill I had the unfortunate I had the unfortunate unpopular position of I supported the war but it was against the troops <laughs> <laughs> only fucking Bill Hicks can say that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah they <laughs> George Bush and the boys were going wild in Desert Storm I'm like pull it up Donnie what's that D weapon D four what's that do says it destroys everything but the fillings in their teeth. Let it off. <laughs> cool. What's next? D15. What's that one do? <laughs> Those boys were in hog heaven. <laughs> yeah, he's got some great Desert Storm bit, bits. He's, he's like, a war is between two enemies. Not not 800 casualties. 800,000 versus 59. Because that means we could have sent 60. And there'd be one guy coming back going, Woo! <laughs> and it's like, you gotta remember, this is like in like 94. Like, he's yeah. doing this. And it's like, only he could pull it off, right? It's, yeah. Yeah, you've got a few comedians like that who, whose shit would, uh, anybody else would be dead if they tried Sam it. Sam Kinison, I mean, yeah. I mean, Rodney Dangerfield's whole respect thing. Yeah. No, one, I, no one else could pull that off. Yeah. 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 What about it's, yeah, Sam Kinison's the yeah yeah. For a dollar, uh, you could feed these kids. Well, why don't you just move them? Why do you live there? Why do you live in the fucking desert? What's the, he goes? How about instead of giving them money for a sandwich, because then they're just gonna keep they're gonna stay there. It's gonna be like animals that they tell you not to feed. How about we put all our money, we go get a we get a long convoy of UN U-Hauls, or do one trip. We go out there. Get your shit, get your favorite rock or piece of sand or whatever the fuck you have, bring them to L.A., and it's over. <laughs> you know, for one dollar a day, you could give these kids a sandwich. And he's like, you know, the director's like, don't give them the sandwich yet. We got to get the shot. Get the hunger in his eyes. Uh-uh. You don't get it right now. <laughs> like, Holy fuck. He goes, good. You're going to stay out there in the desert. You deserve this. And it's like, holy fuck. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, things like that work because there's a kernel of truth in them too. So that's how they that's, all work. Is the that's yeah, that's what that's Eminem. That's what Eminem said. You know, back when he was becoming Marshall Mathers, is he was like, you can't just make lyrics just to offend because anyone could say, "fuck cunt asshole," you know, whatever, burning crucifix. Anyone can say the buzzwords. He's like, you gotta, yeah. you gotta say I, something that someone deep down goes. I don't like that. Yeah, you got you got to have meaning behind them. You got to prick it somewhere. Yeah, it's um. F and I was gonna, two two more quick ones of just pirating people's material. That's my not mine. Sam Kinison. <laughs> sorry, I'm late, everybody. Thanks for coming out to the show. But you know, I'm sorry, I'm late. I spent 15 minutes at 7-Eleven trying to buy cigarettes. Going, Marlboro, Marlboro, Smokey, Smokey. He goes, this motherfucker from Vietnam couldn't speak English. And he goes, I should have killed you in Da Nang when I had the chance. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> 
And then another one that you couldn't get a George Carlin. And it's like, we sure can make bombs. We love bombing brown people. United States, we can't build a microwave or a VCR. But if you have brown people, you better tell them to watch out because we're going to bomb them. He goes, we don't bomb white people. Have we, when's the last time we bombed white people? Have we ever bombed white people? One time. The Germans. And that's only because they were trying to take over the world. Bullshit. That's our fucking job. <laughs> Bullshit, that's our fucking job They're trying to cut in on the action And we were like, "Uh uh-uh Blonde hair, blue eyes, we'll bomb them You don't touch our money Now you know what's really important Yeah, right, exactly, yeah, yeah That's like a less eloquent way of like Voltaire saying To know who who rules you Find out who you can't criticize Right, Mm -hmm. is the only time we'll bomb white people Is when white people are trying to get in On our military industrial action trying to take over the world bullshit that's our fucking job but before i just keep going shamelessly tearing off other people's material and (laughs) repackaging it as my own podcast let's wrap this bitch up robert not robert god jesus christ i need some sleep roger (laughs) if i had a nickel for every time someone has done that i could have retired really (laughs) what's I found a nickel at work the other day in 1940. That's not relevant. <laughs> I have not slept well the last two nights. What's um in your Rolodex of your mind, what's our episode next week? You don't have to answer right I now. I don't know why I'm putting you on the spot. I don't know. It's yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's your show, man. So what, no, what, dude, what, what interests you? No, I I what I'm interested in, I love when people are passionate about stuff. Like I had on my buddy from work, Forrest, with the Magic the Gathering. I had on Vinny talk about wines. Yeah. Those aren't things that I'm necessarily interested in. What I'm in, I love when pe- I'm interested in people who are interested in something. It's their interest that kind of ignites me. You and I just so happen to, our Venn diagram overlaps a little more because we have a lot of the same interests. But in general, what I like is just. I just like the passion, regardless of what it is. Yeah, well, hmm. How about the scale of the universe? How we learned how big the universe is? Fucking done. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Because we only learned a lot of that in the recent past, too. So there's been a lot of stuff that has been discovered in the last decade or so. Really? That is sharp. I mean, we've gone from we think it's between 10 and 20 billion light years to the Hubble limit to 13.6 billion. And we know a lot more about stuff that's out there. and. We've seen, you know, we, you know, the, the, the ways, that, you know, certain particular observations have verified certain key assumptions that mm-hmm. used to just be, well, we think this is about, and now we can say, well, we know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all right, no, no need to like get into the, the big preview then. We'll do, we'll, we'll do cosmology. Fuck yes, I, I fucking <laughs> love it. It's, I, it's, I love it. I just get, I get a. Regardless of the podcast, even if the podcast didn't exist, I would just lie to you and I would just keep doing weekly. <laughs> just I get a free, I get a free ninety-minute lesson. 
Even, well, even though you're not sending me the links anymore, I still know where to find your podcast. Well, so I know whether you're putting my episodes. Up. <laughs> well, I stopped sending you the links because I figured you figured it out. I figured after yeah. the, I figured after like the second time I did that, at, at some point you would start to take it as insulting. Like, <laughs> you go, Roger. Like, you know how to use YouTube. Like, at a certain point, I've I figured it would yeah. be insulting. I, I know how to put the letters T, P, and C into the search function in the YouTube app. Oh yeah, no, it's you gotta <laughs> no, you really gotta find it because there is it's way too small. They're like Tommy's podcast. They're like, fuck off. No, we got Joe Rogan. We have Kanye. That's it. Nothing in between. But yeah, I'll keep sending you the links, Roger. If that's a shot across no, the bow. No, 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 I didn't figure it out. No, it's that's... war. It's war. I, 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 am, I take that as a personal front. And it's just like Charlie Duke can find me. I'm going to find you, motherfucker. Yeah, but I'll I'll I'll, I'll jujitsu it because I'll uh, then all I have to do is hit forward to send it to my dad instead of having to copy it out of the URL bar and paste uh, it into a new email. Okay. <laughs> you lazy fuck. <laughs> That's the limit. <laughs> well, have you have you ever seen the Have you ever seen uh, read the uh, the Robert Heinlein essay in praise of the lazy man? Mm-hmm. Heinlein wrote this whole. Uh, short story length essay in one of his anthologies about how all of human progress is down to the people who are lazy well, yeah that's bill gates right the hire the laziest man for the job because he'll find the most efficient way to do it yeah well well gates got that from heinlein yeah 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 imagine so yeah it was it was considered quite uh shocking when when heinlein did it but that's also true of a lot of the things heinlein wrote um but, yeah. But yeah, yeah, that was, it was you know, he, he goes through like example after example of some, you know, some, some lazy asshole who didn't want to be. It's like like one of the first was the original Newcomen steam engines were operated by hand. Mm-hmm. And so they would hire a boy to sit there and turn the valves to make the cylinder go up and down, you know, to 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 inject the steam. And then when the cylinder gets to the top to spray the water so that the cylinder would go back down. Well, at some point, one of these kids figured out how to hook everything up with a bunch of ropes so that the cylinder would operate the valves himself. Yeah. And then, you know, all of a sudden you start seeing these machines that have automatic linkages. And it's like, you know, who thought of that it was, you know, the engineers building them didn't care. They, yeah, yeah. I hire some kid, you know, yeah. but the, it was one of the kids that figured it out. I mean, that's, I would, yeah, I would, of course, think, he also put himself out of a job. Yeah, yeah, that's the other thing is he didn't lawyer up. You know, that's what you get. That's what you get for growing up. Then, but yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's a very fair argument because I mean, at the very core, you have to look at why did we go from nomads to agriculture? At the very beginning, is like, yo, we won't be able to have food every day, but what if we just bust our balls for like one year, plant all this? Hear me out, plant all this shit, and then. Food just grows out of the fucking ground, and we can kick it. <laughs> it's just instead of just constantly every day we're going to hunt. Uh-uh. Yeah. Put it all that right could, here. Build a hut. Yeah. Game over. That, that could be another topic sometime about how agriculture arose because that's of interest. In fact, I have a uh, a little running thing in the the series that I just concluded on Reddit, the curators. Mm-hmm. Uh, on uh, the second of the four, uh, the third of the four books is from the viewpoint of the curator human agent who has been on earth for a hundred thousand years and uh the each episode starts with a little vignette from his past so he actually traces his observation of humans and so that comes from my general understanding of where agriculture came from where technology came from uh so so it's like this alien who is who is effectively immortal living among humans uh observing us and of course the, the whole shtick in that story is that the curators didn't curate us. 
because they thought we were not success material that we were too violent yeah, yeah we were eventually going to kill each other anyway and yeah. so it wasn't worth it and he's noticing that we keep not killing each other even after we do these crazier and crazier things <laughs> and and he's like you know there, there's like six of them on the earth and every once in a while they I mean, and they're like you know we're trying to tell the uh the the guys out in the galaxy that this is a race that is doing some pretty incredible things and it's like yeah what they're doing they're enslaving their neighbors and you know shit like that and, and they're like yeah but they're enslaving their neighbors because we didn't give them an economy of plenty with the nanites and so the only way they can get this shit is to force their neighbors to help them make it <laughs> yeah it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy type thing right yeah and so so the ones that are on earth are seeing that this is like a self-fulfilling prophecy and that uh you know of course the the theme of the group that i posted all this in is humanity fuck yeah it's yeah a, the stories are supposed to be about human exceptionalism how great humans are so i decided to that it would be how humans managed to overcome this and do better shit than anybody else was doing because we had to do it ourselves and so you know in in this set of chapters uh we're having the recollections of how he observed that yeah these guys you know on the on the one hand they're enslaving all of their neighbors but on the other hand they just built this network of roads to get to their neighbors that's unlike anything else in the galaxy and you know this was the romans yeah and and they're they're like nobody else does this it's because they don't have to okay and so uh that's sort of the a, a background trace of that development uh but but yeah so it's like when i was writing that i went back and reviewed a few things one of the funnier things i did is i had him uh be uh joseph from the bible he he, he advises his the, the king who thinks he's enslaved a, a, a scribe who's a slave of course uh you know he can just think about it and disappear so he's not really anybody's slave but uh being in this position lets him observe well and so the this is a, a civilization it's not it's it's actually uh the mesopotamians it's not the you know the hebrews or the egyptians but uh so he's in a situation where they've just developed agriculture and they're burning out the land and he can see that they're burning out the land and they just keep expanding and uh but they now have a surplus which they've never had before and so the young king is asking for his advice on you know uh, conquering their neighbors and expanding his domain and he's like maybe you should uh, you know build a stockpile of food now that we're able to do that you know just in case there's a lean time you know may, maybe wait three years or five or even seven years and and when I was telling that story to my wife I got to five and she said or seven yeah <laughs> it's, it's just like and so, so he just you know caps that off with and so that was the first time I showed up in the Christian Bible yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's actually can I opt for that episode and we'll do cosmology after, because now I'm okay. hooked on now I'm hooked on that. I am now I'm hooked on that. Is I love I love that idea of they're doing shit that no one else right. It's it, it, it's almost yeah. there's almost some like meta like this is the Soviets with the RD one eighty, mm-hmm. right? Because they're they they just can't throw they can't throw the the plenty at it the nan the metaphorical nanites. Yeah. So the, so it's really that's what's driven human progress. I've uh, long ago I read a theory. I forget exactly where I saw it, but exactly this way that uh, civilization arose in Europe because it was not too hard in that climate, but it was also not easy enough 
without it. So there was a tension between having everything you want without doing too much work. Uh, Hunter-gatherers, particularly those who live in relatively benign climates, tend not to work very much. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've done studies that show they work like 20 hours a week uh, yeah. securing, you know. And, if you're and, in paradise, and, yeah. Yeah, so why would you do this? So, so, so yeah, if you, if you live in Polynesia or Central Africa before we turned yeah. it into a desert, then you're not going to do all this complicated shit. But in Europe, you've got a nice fertile season followed by a nasty winter Yeah, every it's, year. It's going to kill so, you if you don't stockpile. So, it, so it pays to develop agricultural techniques and stockpiles and all this stuff. And it's just the right end. But it's not so hard that it just crushes you. Because, you know, the Eskimos also aren't going to come up with high technology because they simply don't have the resources. It's just because it's just too hard. Right. So you've got this place where it was just sort of in the middle. And it was also kind of that way in China. But then there were more social reasons why they rose to a certain level and then didn't go past it because they didn't have to for other reasons. Whereas in Europe, you also had uh, the the rivalries and you, you didn't turn it into an empire it was a little too easy for the Chinese to turn it into an empire mm-hmm. and then sit back and, uh, yeah. uh, and enjoy is- that. Isolationism, yeah. In, in Europe, you also had enemies who wanted what you had. So there's just okay. just, just perfect storm of influences. For ingenuity. That, that, that drove it to ridiculous extremes. And, and, of, co- and of course, one of the Andrew's monologues in the story was, uh, you know, after the Roman Empire fell the guys out in the galaxy were telling us, yeah, we told you so, you know, they're going to all kill each other. It's like, it's a sure thing, you know, just like, uh, just let us know when it happens. And then, the, you know, then the middle ages come around and everyone starts building all this shit. And they're like, they realize how very, very wrong they were. It's, it's kind of like, have you ever seen, we're going to wrap it up. Have you, yeah. like, cause we're going to start d- d- jumping. Yeah, this is going to be next week's episode. Yeah, we'll, 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 yeah, we'll jump, but, uh, but just so I don't forget, cause I will forget. I saw something where they took like a like a microbiological medium, you know, almost like a big petri dish, but it was in like the shape of the United States, and then they put the um not as agar a g a r they put like yeah, the the a g a r they put the really good shit where the cities are, and then they put um they put the psychedelic mushrooms uh the cubensis <laughs> what is it yeah is it cubensis what are cubensis. the words? yeah whatever the ones are that make psilocybin. They put the spores in there, and they mapped their own connections to the cities. And then when they ran it against our like subway and highway connections, it was actually more efficient. <laughs> and it was like fuck. We thought we and they did it. I think they tried it again in like Tokyo. And I think Tokyo, they actually did it, and it was like, of course, the Japanese fucking figured out like the most, like the thermodynamically most efficient. Like, of course, they fucking did. But yeah, it was like there are weird ways where if you create, yeah. Like a hardcore, not enough that it kills you, but enough that it's challenging. Like you will. That is natural. Slay. But we're gonna fucking we're gonna spoil next week. So let's wrap this one up. Roger, thank you so much. As always, it's a pleasure. And Roger Williams, author of *The Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect*, which I plug every episode. It will be in the comments, the top comment, and in the description. It's my favorite book. It's fucking fantastic. Just go get it. It's awesome. And um, yeah, man, thank you for doing it. Hey, it's always a pleasure. And I'll send you a link, Roger. Send me the links. Because <laughs> you, have, you have just made a 20-minute argument of why it is important to be lazy. So you've convinced me, all right? 
You've convinced me. I'll send you the link. Because somehow that's going to lead to our galactic introduction. I hate you. All right, buddy. Stay safe. I'll see you next week. All right, big man. Peace.